from the book of Hebrews, in our series in Hebrews, chapter 9, and we're starting from verse 11, uh, 11 to 28. But when Christ came as high priest of good things, of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death? so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is in force only when somebody has died, it never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the Lord to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law required that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of heavenly, heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the accumulation of all of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Wonderful. Well, there's uh, lots to think through as we think through uh, that passage in Hebrews and the chapters around it. Uh, There's a lot going on, uh, but that's a good thing about our faith, that there's uh, a depth to it, a greatness to it, a, uh, a complexity for us to delve into. And the whole book of Hebrews is pointing us to a better understanding of Jesus. A better understanding of the great high priest that we have, as we saw last week. Who forever gives us direct access to God. And the theme today, the topic, is the perfect new covenant that we have. This wonderful promise that we have, which is all about Jesus what Jesus has done, the promises we receive now, and of course what Jesus is going to still do. And we live in a time that's all about change. 
uh, technology. The last 30, 50 years, however long, 100 years, there is just this rapid change all around us. Uh, there are things that are just evolving and changing uh, in, in every front when it comes to technology just about. All the different things. Just think about uh, uh, mobile phones for a moment. Um, guys, I think you've clicked off the screen for me back there, whatever you're doing. Uh, mobile phones. Uh, they've uh, changed a bit. Anyone had a brick like that in the past? Yes? Uh, and then there's uh, that sort of middle-sized Nokia that lots of people may have had at some stage, and then the new smartphones. And there's a bit of a joke there that says, respect your grandpa, um, because, uh, yeah, it's all about uh, change. But who would want to go back to the old? Who would go back to that obsolete model now? Probably wouldn't even connect into the <laughs> someone at the back does. They want the old big buttons that... Uh, an easy-to-find phone. Just put that in your pocket. <laughs> yes, well, there's some things we did like about the old, but uh, yes, it's by no means uh, perfect. Or maybe, who would like to go back to a uh, typewriter and uh, tap away and then make a mistake and, and, and get the whiteout out or whatever you used to have to do with the typewriter? That was even before my time clunking away at a, of a typewriter. I would say it's obsolete. Maybe you think it's still good to pull one out. Uh, but there are many things where we would say that new is better, that the laptop fast, uh, is better than the, the old typewriter. Um, but it's not only uh, technology. What's another area where you would say new is better, where you would say that the old system's just obsolete now? And I've given you a couple examples. Microwave ovens, medicine, yes, all the advances in, in medicine, hallelujah. Washing machines, yes, that's right. Dish, <laughs> all these convenience items around our home where we're like, yes, bring it on, they're good. They make my life easier. Uh, <laughs> wow, controversy. A machine better than a living thing. Uh, a, a tractor better than a horse if you missed that one. Anything else that we can think of? Cars. Yeah, that's, they've changed a bit over the years, haven't they? <laughs> oh, we don't want the driverless cars. All this change in the midst of technology. The same with the, the tractors. I was talking to Anthony earlier in the week and it was like, well, that's where the farming's headed. Uh, there might not be any drivers soon behind the tractors. It's like, whoa, what's going on there? Uh, the, all this change. But uh, not all change is good, but there is something about new when, and it being better that, it, that is good. And that is exactly what the book of Hebrews is, is getting us. It's getting us to look back and to say, well, it wasn't right before. There were things that weren't perfect, and then Jesus stepped in. So the point is being made that what was in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, what that, the whole system of the law that was given by God to Moses and given to the people, it was actually faulty and it's now obsolete. We might say, well, gosh, that's a negative view. How could you look back on something that God gave and, and call it faulty? How could you look back on the Old Testament and say, well, that, that wasn't the right perfect way 
Well, that's what this passage argues. It's to say we're supposed to look back and we're supposed to realize that it wasn't perfect. And here's a picture. It's a little bit hard to see, but the start of chapter 9, which we didn't actually read, talks about the tabernacle of the Old Testament, the Hebrew tabernacle, or, or the dwelling place of God's, the tent of meeting, it's called, or the earthly sanctuary. And uh, there was uh, worshippers back then came to God's, and people, everyday people, would come with an animal sacrifice or something else of a gift, and it would normally be burnt at the altar. But there were priests, and the priests were able to go um, and do regular duties into the holy place, the first meeting. Every day there would be someone in there, and there was consecrated bread, there was lamps, uh, there was a, a, a place there where offerings were made, gifts were given to God. But then there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was the most holy place. And back there was the Ark of the Covenants, and in that was... Uh, God's dwelling place. And tell me, who was allowed behind that curtain? The high priest. And how often was he allowed? Once a year. And did he have to do things before he went behind the curtain? Yes. And so we think back and said, well, who actually got access to God? It was such a limited person in such a limited way. If that's God's dwelling place and how people are supposed to get there, what a hard system to get through and something that most people would be excluded from. They'd be stuck outside on the, on the altar uh, bringing some animal that they would be, try to cover their, their, their sins. And it wasn't perfect. It wasn't perfect. Not because God had done something bad. What God gave them was good. But the key point here is that this wasn't actually broken. What was broken was the people. The people were the problem. They were what the problem was. And so I actually want us to look back at a verse in chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 9. And it says that it will not... This is God making a a promise. It's a quote from Jeremiah 31. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. That's the old covenant, the stuff given to Moses. Because they did not remain faithful to my covenants. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. The problem was the people's hearts. They were the ones that let the whole deal down. They're the ones that didn't follow through with what God had promised them in the Old Testament. Because open up just about any page in the Old Testament, and what were the people doing? They were seeking other gods. They were seeking other things to worship. They didn't care about seeking after God and remaining faithful to Him. And so God turns away from them. And that's why even the temple gets destroyed. That's why the the Ark of the Covenants is taken away from the people. Because their hearts were hearts. And God knew that. And so in verse 13 of chapter 8, we see by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. The argument being, well, all that stuff that we read about in the Old Testament, about Moses and all those laws, they're obsoletes. They're going to disappear. In fact, they have already disappeared. Tell me, what happened to the temple that was around in Jesus' day? What happened to it? Destroyed, torn down. And ever since then, have the Jewish people offered animal sacrifices? No, that whole system has been outdated for 2,000 years now. 
It's gone. The way of, of connecting through Moses. So the Jewish people make up a new way to worship, based more a little bit more on grace, but they don't look to Jesus. And so we see in chapter 9, just before our reading, the reality of what was taking place. The gifts, the sacrifices were being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They were only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings. External regulations applying until the time of the new order. So there was this old way. People brought gifts, their sacrifices, these animals, all that was going on. They were trying to get a clear conscience. They were trying to be guilt-free, but it didn't work. Every person that went through the system in the Old Testament still felt guilty because it was only an external washing. It was a bit like they had mud all over their hands and they were washing the outsides but never really dealt with the desires of their hearts, what was going on inside and their true desires for God. But the old was appointed to the new. The old was appointed to say, well, God should have been found in the old but he He wasn't found because of the faultiness of the people, but it's a pointer to the new. The old is obsolete, but the new is coming. So the point, as I started with, is that the old covenant, as we read through it, it was faulty because the people made it faulty. Not God's, the people. And so we now know that it's obsolete. Is it worth looking at? Well, yeah. You can learn things from it. You can. It it does. Uh, But when we looked at it, we realized also how faulty the people were that were trying to do it. People were trying. Sure, at times they tried very hard. But no one was made perfect through following the law. I guess uh, a modern illustration, we might think of a beautiful landscape somewhere, a beautiful scene uh, out in our environments, and then people come along and we pollute it. We, we, through greed or corruption or whatever, some sort of sin, we just decide to, to dump all the, the waste on it or do something and, the, and it just gets wrecked. It gets uh, destroyed by human hands. And it's a little bit, a little bit like that with the Old Testament, the old way. There was a way that's supposed to be to God, but people came and broke. But that's the old way. And then there's good news because there's a new way, which is uh, so much better. And that's the whole point of going back and looking at the old. It's to draw our attention to the new. And the new covenants, the new way of God to his people is through a gift, the gift of Jesus, and that is perfect in every single way. And indeed, there's a, a key point to take away from this whole message. It's to say, well, the ways of God that have come to Jesus are perfect for us, each of us, in every possible way. And the good news is, is that unlike the old system, it's not dependent on us making it perfect. It's all dependent on Jesus making it perfect. And so, in our first verse that we had, Hebrews 9 verse 11, we see that there was a perfect tabernacle. I've highlighted it for us. This is good. Jesus came and he made his offering in the perfect tabernacle. That, that tabernacle I showed before, was only a shadow, that tense of of meeting, and it had a small amount of God dwelling in it. The the old tabernacle 
The human-made one was only a shadow of the perfect tabernacle of heaven, God's dwelling place. And the point is being made that Jesus made his offering in the most perfect place, in the glory of heaven, in the majesty of heaven, before the very throne of God. That is where the offering of Jesus was taken place. And that is good because we know that that has been fully received by God. And we know, of course, of the perfect sacrifice. Jesus on that cross, he was innocent, free of sin. And yet he died once to die for the sins of the world. We're going to be looking at more of that next week of of the significance of the once for all sacrifice. But Jesus was perfect in what he offered to God. And it was perfectly received in heaven by God for us. Jesus' blood was spilt. And that was done for you and for me. The blood of Jesus was poured out. We know that every living being, there is life in the blood. If you take the blood away, there is no life. And that's why there's all this imagery of blood. In the Old Testament, it was taking the life of the animal, hoping that that life would bring life to the person. And it's the same, that the, the, the innocent blood of Jesus, full of life, was poured out for you and for me. There is life in the blood of Jesus, and we receive that gift through his perfect sacrifice. That's why it's such a big deal made about the blood of Jesus. It's full of life from God. And we see in verse 12 that he, that is Jesus, did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Talk about a perfect gift. What did Jesus bring? Perfect redemption to redeem people for God, to to rescue us, to save us perfectly for God. The idea that we have been saved by God, rescued what from ourselves, from that old broken system that has been made obsolete. We have been saved into God's forever promises, based not on us, but based on what Jesus has accomplished, what he has done. That's why it's perfect perfectly carried out by our Lord Jesus. And the perfect stuff just continues. We've seen all these different perfect things. And of course, there is the perfect cleansing. Verse 14, How much more then will the blood of Christ, that's Jesus, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that led to death so that we may serve the living God's. The old system of offering animals we saw before, no clear consciences were made. In Jesus and his sacrifice, we all receive a clear conscience. You might say, well, what's the difference? Well, in the old, animals were, were given, but it never fully forgave deliberate sin. It never met with those desires of people's hearts. In Jesus and his forgiveness, he says that everything is forgiven. Every single thing is perfectly forgiven. Whether it was the worst sin imaginable, whether it was some sort of just accidental neglect, it doesn't matter. It has all been paid for by Jesus. The forgiveness of Jesus is across every single sin. 
that we could ever think of or imagine. And that is beautiful because we find a complete cleansing. Every mistake, every failure, every bad choice towards God's all forgiven. And when it's completely cleansed, it means that we are completely made right with God. Well, of course, we receive it. And in verse 15, the perfection continues. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. The old is gone, the new is here, and the new has promises for the future. Perfect promises. Our inheritance is with God. It is for, to be with God forever. In Jesus, we have the promise of, of eternity, of heaven, of, of, of all the glory of heaven. The fullness of, of being with God and the joy that that's going to be in, a, in a, a whole existence where sin is gone. We have the most amazing promises in front of us. And it's all through what Jesus has done in the new covenant. And so in every single way, we see that the new covenant is perfect. Remember the old? Could we say it was faulty and obsolete? Absolutely. The new in Jesus has come. Everything that Jesus brought into is perfect. Perfect beyond imagination. It's so much better. We were talking before about technology and how technology is better. Well, it's never perfect. It's never ideal. But Jesus bringing, uh, replacing the old has brought this new system which is perfect in every way. We've seen that it was perfect in how what he offered was before God in heaven. How the sacrifice was to pay perfectly for all sin. And how it makes all people who trust in him perfect forever. These are amazing promises that last and that are for us and are extremely good news. That's why we get excited. That's why we come to worship. That's why we lift Jesus on high because he has done it all. He has done more than we could even imagine by making people perfect. And it's by his work. I love that the New Testament points to perfection. And of course, that perfection is Jesus. May we stay focused on what God has done. Because why would we want to turn away from that which is perfect? Why would we possibly want to look at something in this world that is not perfect? Sadly, in our day, many people are not looking to Jesus. They're looking at other things. We might say, why? If God's ways of perfection are found in Jesus, why would people want to look anywhere else? We should get our focus completely on Jesus. And as we were praying before, this perfection is something for us to take out and to declare to others. If we believe this to be true, then surely it should motivate us to want to share it with someone else. To take this good message out to others and to say, well, God has worked in the most amazing way. He has made everything perfect. Come and believe and find life in Him. May that be on our hearts to think about those around us as we were talking about last year, to walk across the room, to share Jesus, to actually have a heart for their well-being. Perfection has come in the new covenants. It is good. Let's pray.
Our Lord God, we give you the honor and the praise. We thank you so much that the new has come, that the ways of Jesus bring life, that they bring about complete forgiveness, that they bring hope for us. Help us to to grasp that perfection in a greater way and help us to have a heart to to share it and to to live it, to, to sink even deeper into our hearts, to have a passion for it. And so we do give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise now in Jesus' name. Amen.